So out of curiosity, have any of you had an argument with someone close to you? Could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a parent, could be a friend, where the outcome was the silent treatment? Anybody? No nudging, by the way. You could be the offerer of this or the recipient of it. It could be both ways. It happens commonly, doesn't we? get into a conflict and we don't know how to manage and ultimately it leads to silence. There was a particular situation where this happened in a couple, I'm sure for none of you, but where the husband and wife were a week into this silent argument, the argument that was mute. One evening as he was going to bed, he realized, I have an early flight tomorrow and I need to get up at five and I don't ever get up this early. He knew he had to ask his wife to help wake him up, but he was not about to move past the muteness of the argument. So he casually wrote on a piece of paper, I, have a, I need to be woken up at five in the morning and gave it to her and went to bed. He slept very well, let you know. Woke up in the morning feeling very well rested, but something was confusing as he noticed it was light outside. He would look and it would be 9 a.m. in the morning, no wife in the bed next to him. He would wake up quite angry and he pulled the sheets down. He was ready to hunt her down and ask why she didn't help. As he was just about to leave the room, he peered over to his table next to his bed and saw a piece of paper. And it read, it's 5 a.m., get up. <laughs> That's all you needed, head home, have fun with that one, okay? Now, it is funny, and I'm willing to bet that many of us could tell stories that were humorous in the past, right, where those things have happened. Here's the difficulty. As those things continue to happen over the course of months and years, something changes in us, doesn't it? Our hopefulness, our desire to forgive, our relationships begin to erode. We often hear the word that we become callous, in fact, you know what callousness is, don't you? As a guitar player, you know this because when you first start picking up the guitar, your fingers hurt because they're not used to the friction that they face. But over time, there becomes callousness on your fingers and it's easy to deal with the friction. It's very similar in conflict. We begin to build callous hearts that keep us from having good relationships. Now, that can be in a series of small events that happen over time. It also happens in major events. In fact, I'm sure that some of us in this room have experienced some intense hardships that you just ask, how in the world can I forgive these things? Maybe it was a parent that spoke to you so harshly and negatively, you never got encouragement, and it's just killed you through your life. Maybe it's a spouse that you would say is verbally abusive, a relationship that moved beyond verbal abuse to physical abuse or even sexual abuse. Maybe for some of us here, it's been a betrayal. Betrayal from a loved one, a betrayal from a coworker, a betrayal from a boss, name it. But we have great difficult circumstances that we say, how can I ever get through and get over this? And that's real life, isn't it? And make no mistake, the great ones are not like those are difficult and the small ones aren't. The small ones over time erode as much or more sometimes than those great infractions. And what we want to look at today, honestly, is how did the early church understand this? Do you realize that conflict has been throughout time and the church had some wisdom for us, I think unique to any culture and any climate, that is so profound and so helpful? So we're going to look at just two verses, two little statements 
from a letter that Paul, one of our earliest church leaders, writes to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a major area, a city of 100,000 people, a big city in what is now Turkey. Paul writes, Paul is a gentleman who was basically a terrorist towards Christians at first, believing he was doing a holy war as a Jew, preventing Christians from moving forth, hating the message that Jesus actually rose. Along the way, he has a revelation of Jesus, and he turns from terrorist to the greatest champion of. And Paul writes these really powerful words to us. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, just 31 and 32 are the verses. And we're going to look at those together today. This is what Paul says as he writes in this excerpt. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage and anger. Get rid of all brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Now, I want to just stop for a minute and have us reflect on what he's saying here. It may seem quite obvious, but I, I don't believe there's some things that can come out of this. One is just simply he says, get rid of them. This is an imperative. It means he's commanding them. You have no choice. Take these things off. In fact, in several other letters, he writes very similarly, but then he calls it like clothing. Take off these clothes and put on new clothes. And the clothes he's describing that we're to get rid of are bitterness. Now, do you know what bitterness is? It's very simply this. It's when we take in our heart and we hold and harden it to what's hurt us. It's when we take and hold what's hurt us and we harden ourselves to it. It's when our hearts become callous. Now, everything else flows out of this. Do you know what happens when there's bitterness in the heart? We become angry and enraged. And make no mistake, this doesn't necessarily mean that you blow up and scream at someone Anybody just have a sharp tongue? Oh, I do. I can get awfully mean when I'm angry. And it doesn't have to even be in a harsh tone. I can say it as sweetly as possible. It's a sweet wound. We do it lots of ways. Brawling and slander. Have you ever been in a place where you're hurt and bitter and you can't help but just spit venom at the person that's hurt you? That's slander. Every kind of malice. He's saying at the root, when there's resentment in our hearts, when there's bitterness, all sorts of things start to play out. In fact, this is something that Jesus teaches over and over again. He tells us, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the idea that what's inside ultimately comes out. And so what Paul is addressing here is this root of bitterness, now, one author speaks of this in another word, resentment. I love the way he says it. Max Lucado, who's a fairly known author and pastor, gives great insight into how we're thinking about this. Tell me if this doesn't fit you in your own life. And I'm assuming you'll feel some conviction. I do as I think about this. This is what he says resentment is. It's when you let your hurt become hate. It's when you allow what is eating you to eat you up. It's when you poke, stoke, feed, and fan the fire, stirring the flames and reliving the pain. Ever been there where you're hurt and you just keep living it again and again? He says it's the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a black, furry, growing, growling grudge. I want you to hear it again, and I want you to just consider, do I have this anywhere in me? Resentment is when you let your hurt become hate. When you allow what is eating you to eat you up. 
when you poke, stoke, feed, and fan the fire, stirring the flames and reliving the pain. Resentment is a deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a black, furry, growling grudge. Sometimes for us, it's almost easier to hold on to it than to let it go. It takes a life of its own. Do you ever have this? I've had this where there's a comfort in feeling the pain, where there's a comfort in nursing the hurt. I think this is why Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, because where there's bitterness, there's rage and anger. Where there's rage and anger, there's ultimately brawling and slander along with every form of malice inside and out. Now then he goes on to say how we're to live. What is to be different as people who follow Jesus? And he says this about it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now this is also an imperative. He's making a command. Be kind and compassionate. And by the way, he's not saying act kind. He's saying be kind. He's saying inside of you, I want you to live in a different way that is full of kindness and compassion to one another. And the crazy thing is once he gets to this word forgiving, it's a totally different way of explanation. Not that most of you care about grammar, but it's called a participle, which means it's pointing to something else. It's pointing to what we're to do. You could say, in a sense, that forgiving is the means with which we kill bitterness. Forgiving is the means with which we move away from anger and slander. Forgiving is the means with which we move away from brawling and hatred. Forgiving is the means with which we become kind and compassionate. But he's going to go on and explain what this looks like. He's going to go on and explain for us what he means by this. Because I have to tell you, this is a tough thing as Christians, isn't it? I mean, we're told to forgive. It's regular. When we, our kids were little, we wanted them to get the principle. So we'd make them, when the other one apologized, they had to say back, I forgive you. And they said it, even if they didn't want to or mean it. And we thought somehow by saying it, maybe that will help them get it. I think we do the same thing as adults, don't we? Someone hurts you, what are you supposed to do as Christians? Forgive. I mean, what is the prayer Jesus has us pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, the people that do stuff to us. We're told to do it over and over again. It's actually a caution that Jesus gives after the Lord's Prayer. If you don't, you're in trouble. I mean, so we're, it's almost like we're stuck. But what Paul writes next is what's profound. He's about to explain to us how that's to happen. The mechanism which makes it attainable as a Christ follower. So what would you make that verse be? What would you say after these words? Forgiving each other, does Paul say this? As long as they don't do it too many times. I mean, come on, that's a fair trade, isn't it? Listen, I'll forgive you, but there's a point where it's, I've forgiven you for 15 years. Have you really not figured this out yet? Do I really need to do this again? Ever do that? No. Just me? I thought so. Okay, maybe not that one. Maybe he says something else. Maybe Paul says, as long as the offense wasn't too great, listen, I got a lot of grace for you to a certain point. Once you do something that's beyond that point, the infraction is too severe, you are done. No, you never did that? Come on, you're feeling it a little bit, aren't you? You, you think this was fun for me to prepare? I was really ready after I got into it. Go, let's pass it to one of the other guys. 
Who wants to teach this garbage, huh? Let's continue on. Maybe Paul said this. As long as they're really sorry for the hurt they caused you. I mean, forgive others. Why should I forgive them if they're not apologizing? I'm not going to forgive them until they ask. They should feel sorry for what they did. Not even a single amen to that? Come on, you're all with me. Don't lie. All right, let's take one more shot. Maybe this one will help. As long as they make it up to you. I will forgive you, but you owe me an awful lot of stuff back. Come on, have you ever done this? Let's punish the offender. I'm going to give you the cold shoulder till you've done... What's the statement people make in marriages oftentimes? I am really in the doghouse. I can't wait to get back home again. I mean, don't we have conditions to how we forgive? Forgive others. As long as it doesn't happen too many times. Forgive others. As long as it's not too big of an infraction. You know what? Forgive others as long as they apologize and they're sorry. Forgive others once the leisure gets back to zero. You know what Paul says? He really doesn't give any conditions. He just gives a source. It's a source that that word forgiving points to. And it's another forgive word. He says this, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. I think it's really easy to run past what that means. I mean, we're 2,000 years removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus. He suffered for those people. I'm just gravy. You ever tell yourself that? It really wasn't that big a deal. It's a momentary suffering. Do you know what it says when it says, as in Christ? How did Christ forgive us? He suffered and took on the burden of what we did. He died unjustly, and new life comes from it. I mean, reflect with me for just a minute. This was something I really found myself meditating on this week, thinking, how do I continue to immerse myself in the truth of what it means that Jesus forgives me? I mean, just think of his kind of unique moments where he had to forgive leading up to the cross. Think of the fact that the Jews are jealous of him. Do you know there's a moment in time where he raises Lazarus from the dead, and while some believed, it says that others went to the other leaders in Israel and helped them plot to kill Jesus. In the midst of their jealousy and the way their religious world worked and their kind of moral code, they went after Jesus. They spoke ill of him and they went to run him down and Jesus takes that hardship on. Rome has rule and reign over Israel and they take Jesus out and make him suffer because he will not stop their rule and reign. You got any place in your life that you're saying to Jesus, I want to stay ruling and reigning? That's part of your sin. How about Barabbas? Barabbas is a guy, for those of you who don't know, there's a moment when Jesus is before Pilate and they bring another guy out, Barabbas. He's been leading a rebellion, trying to kill people to militarily get Israel's life back. They're gonna take him and kill him and they say, we can release one, the murderer and the rebel or Jesus. And which one do they want freed? The rebel. Jesus absorbs all the rebellion and all the hate 
That's part of his suffering. How about the soldiers who mock him and steal his stuff and beat him? And do you know there's a moment where Jesus even recognizes he could call down his angels to stop this. He could call for justice and he doesn't. Because he understands forgiveness comes through suffering and death and new life. Let's make it as close as we can. Peter, one of his closest followers, denies him not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus absorbs the suffering of that. I mean, all of us can attest to the fact that we deny God in different ways, don't we? Have you ever been in a situation where you have two choices and you know which one God's calling you to and you choose the other? That's Peter. Jesus absorbed all of this struggle and suffering and somehow you and I need to be honest and connect to it. I love I love Paul so much because he's just this honest seeker of truth and pursuer of people to know Jesus. When he writes at the beginning of his writings, he says he's the least of the apostles. He has this understanding of his lowliness. And towards the end of his life, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Now make no mistake, Paul was a very holy man. But he had a very honest perspective of what was in his heart. And I'm telling you, the place where we begin to understand forgiveness is the place where you and I really understand the depth of our need for God. Jesus tells a story when asked by Peter earlier in Peter's life, how many times should I forgive? And he's being really bold, maybe seven, which is a number of completeness. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And then he tells a story that I think gives image to what our struggle is in forgiveness. In the story he tells, he says, the kingdom of God is like this. There's a king that's coming to settle accounts with his subjects. And he comes to one subject who owes him literally millions of dollars in today's language. Something he could never repay. He begins to get the subject and his whole family and is ready to sell them into slavery to work off their debt for the rest of their lives in slavery. The man begs the king, have mercy on me. At a debt he could never repay, the king says, I free you of the debt. And this man goes out into, farther into the kingdom and sees someone who owes him a mere thousand dollars. He goes up to this person and it says he begins to choke them and demand the resources. And similarly to the king, he says, I will put you in jail if you can't pay me back. And the, the offender says the very same words he said to the king, have mercy on me. Only this individual says no and throws him in prison. King finds out about it and it's not a good picture for that guy. And Jesus is giving us a picture. You wanna know why you don't forgive? Because you don't see the depth of your debt and you see the depth of others. You see, the first place we start, as in Christ, God has forgiven us. We start with our depth of need. When we don't understand that, it makes everything else difficult. But I want to presume with you, and I'm praying this for you and for me, that we will increasingly understand the depth of our need because it will give us, by the way, that's how callous hearts are turned. They become softer and softer when we understand our need. You know, one of the things I have been doing for this is just reading the Gospels more often, just reading with the idea of let's see Jesus' mercy, let's see his grace, 
Let's see his forgiveness. Let's think about my need. But I want to take you to a second piece of this, which is if we're to forgive as in Christ God forgave us, it means we're to follow the pattern of Jesus. There's something about the very method and way that Jesus forgives that we're to follow. And I want to spell it out for you. Though I said it earlier, I want to say it again and have it be very clear how Jesus forgives. This is how he forgives. First, there is suffering. What suffering means is you absorb the hurt that is caused. Do you realize when someone hurts you, the way to forgiveness is first to suffer? You know, oftentimes we're told you just need to forgive them. It's a volitional decision. You just say it and it's done. But there is suffering involved. Isn't that true? When we're hurt, we're hurt. You take on, you absorb the hurt that's caused. And that leads to the second step. There is death. You die to your need for justice and retribution. I mean, you know death is hard, don't you? We fight for everything we can to stay alive. And sometimes with our hurt, we fight the same way. And God is calling us to death, to a death to the need for justice and retribution. Make no mistake, it is not an offhanded comment when Jesus says he could call the angels down and he doesn't. What he's saying is, I can bring justice, but I choose mercy. I choose to die on behalf of the offense. And I'm telling you, for some of us, we got to be met there. It could be momentary. It can be days, weeks, months. It can take long seasons. And sometimes it's so severe, you need support. Beautifully, Ralph Bainham, our counseling pastor, is back in town after his wonderful winter solstice that he goes away for and gets a little break. And he's here to help us. That's a great place. We have lots of Christian counseling places. I know for me, there have been times where I've needed to talk to a counselor to walk through the death I have to die in my own pain. But then I love to where this leads. You see, it leads to new life. New life comes through forgiveness. When we can actually take the suffering, when you and I can die to our need for justice, God will birth new life out of it. I mean, do you understand that's what happens? And it's new life for you, not just the offender. In fact, as much as we do help them, and we do by giving forgiveness, you realize who is harmed by your unforgiveness? You are. I mean, think about it. Where does that place live of unforgiveness? It lives in your heart. It lives in your mind. The person that's offended is not the offender. It's you. I mean, it kills us, doesn't it? It's a slow death. This is a much more joyful death that leads to new life. Let, let me see if I can give you a picture of it. Let me take you back to something historically that happened just a few decades ago. Back to Major League Baseball. To coach, or actually the owner, Ricky, of the New York Yankees, when he decided to allow Jackie Robinson to join the team. No African American had been any part of Major League Baseball. Bigotry, our whole perspective was so heinous in that season, not to say that we're through it at this point in time, but how horrible it was. And there's this moment, there's this moment where they're together and they're discussing what the future may hold. And this owner is telling Jackie Robinson, listen, you're going to have a tough time. You're going to go into a restaurant and they're going to call you names. They won't feed you. You're going to go to other places and be treated horribly. And then he says, you can't fight back. And Jackie Robinson gets up and says, you mean you want me not to have the guts to fight? And he says, no, I want you to have the guts to not fight. And then he says these words, take a look at the screen. 
people aren't going to like this. They're going to do anything to get you to react. Echo a curse with a curse, and they'll, they'll hear only yours. Follow a blow with a blow, and they'll say, the Negro lost his temper. Your enemy will be out in force, and you cannot meet him on his own low ground. We win with hitting, running, fielding, only that. We win if the world is convinced of two things, that you are a fine gentleman and a great baseball player. He goes on, and I wish I could show you the rest of the clip, but there were some copyright things that prevented that. But what I love what he goes on to say, one is he says, when you do this, they will see their own hearts. And then he says this profound statement, you need to be like our Savior, who actually had the strength to turn the other cheek. And then he says, Jackie, can you do this? He pauses. Jackie looks at this blackboard in the room that has his name on one of the lower level teams and says, you give me a jersey and a number? You give me an opportunity, I'll do it. Now what would follow is he would endure tremendous suffering. In fact, if you haven't seen the movie, I implore you to see it for so many reasons. One of which is just the incredible statement it is of forgiveness and what the, the very principle I'm talking to you about. He suffers and he dies to his need for justice. And what happens out of it? The face of Major League Baseball changed forever. We watch a different game. I would say the face of our civil rights and civility have changed forever because one man said, I will suffer. I will take the burdens that are given me unjustly. I will forgive and I will die to retribution and the Lord will give new life out of it. And I'm telling you, God wants to do the same in your lives. I believe there are marriages here that are hanging by a thread and the two people are saying, once they make a move towards me, then I will. And God's saying, suffer with me. Die to your need to make it right. Watch. Watch as I change your heart. It's gonna change your marriage. I believe there are situations here where you have an ex and I hear about them. I mean, the misery you go through and your kids watch. And God's telling you to forgive that person. And your kids will see a redemptive life in you that will be inexplainable and new life will come to them out of it. I think it's true in our schools. For some of you as students, you go through horrible things. I mean, what a painful time growing up is. And for you to learn this at an early age, do you realize that when you suffer, you actually connect to Jesus in a way you don't otherwise? Paul, in another letter, writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the connection with his sufferings. When you take on an unjust suffering, you align with Christ. And out of your dying to retribution, Christ will give you new life out of it. Can you imagine what will happen in our church, in our families, in our community if we walk in this principle? I mean, it is a simple but powerful word that Paul gives to us. That's the wonderful text, but that's not it. <laughs> there we go, thank you. Forgive others just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive others just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive others, and the way that Jesus forgives you through his suffering and death and resurrection, receive it and know it. And by the way, you're to do the same thing. 
You will suffer. It will be painful as you absorb the hurt that's been inflicted on you. You will have to die to your need for justice, but God will bring new life out of it. And I just believe, we've been praying for breakthrough for all of us for a month. I think there are calloused hearts in all of us that God wants to begin to just soften up. I think God wants to infuse in you a deeper understanding of his love and forgiveness and call you to do the same. And so the way we're gonna finish this today is we're gonna celebrate communion in a few minutes. The bread and the cup are symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus. Mystically, we experience this when we celebrate communion together. The very presence of Jesus infuses in unique, unique ways in our lives. I think for many of us, we're gonna come forward and it's just going to be a reminder or renewal of God, show me the depth of my need and the depth of your love. I think for many of us, as you're coming forward, you're gonna hear a whisper of God saying, there's a place your heart is hardened. Will you suffer with me and die to your need to get back or hold on to this? And will you find new life? I think there are relationships you'll be called to forgive. That says nothing of what you're to do next. We're gonna talk about that next week, but what you're to do now. And then I believe there are some of us here today who are not yet following Jesus. I believe he's saying to you again and again, do you not know how much I love you? I think for some of you, the person you haven't forgiven is yourself. That you say to God, you know what? I've just failed too many times. There's no way. Hey, God, what I've done is too severe. There's no way you'd reach into that depth. God, I've never been sorry enough for this. God, I haven't made enough up to you. None of those things matter. I love Paul's statement in another one of his letters. He says, this is love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the place we keep sinning, that's where Christ goes to meet us with forgiveness. In the place that's the lowest of the low that you would never want anyone to know how horrible you've acted or done, that's where he goes. He'll meet you wherever it is and whatever you've done. So I'm just telling you today, if you're that person, I'm gonna simply invite you to pray. Simply say, Lord, I need you. I accept your forgiveness. And I want to walk in it. You see, you forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And you first receive and then you give. It's all about what you receive to what you give. And I will tell you, if you respond that way today, and you can do it even as we worship, as we pray in just a minute, you're going to receive communion for the first time as a follower of Jesus. And you have no idea that that is the best part of the life of the church. Isn't that true? I mean, we're grateful that we're here together as, as the body of believers, but when we find somebody new who discovers for the first time the power of the resurrection, the depth of what Christ did to suffer and die and rise, man, there's nothing like it. And so we're gonna sing and worship and celebrate as you would do that today. So I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads and I wanna pray for us. And I'm gonna do this uniquely today too. If you wanna respond for the first time and you're saying, I need a savior, I just want you, nobody else is looking, I just want you to raise your hand. Just as a means that we know you want to follow Jesus. So if you feel that today, I want to invite you just to raise your hand today. Let me pray for us together. Lord God, I thank you for what you brought to us through your salvation. I pray for an increased understanding of the depth of your forgiveness. And Lord, I'm asking uniquely that you would infuse just a heart of worship and a responsiveness 
to understanding that. I pray for those who would respond today that you would help them enter into salvation in a beautiful new way. And I pray for the rest of us that you will show us how we're both to receive and how we're to give this. In your holy name.